0: <laughs> I'm uh, thankful for the opportunity to be here with you again. It's good to see this house full. It's uh, an encouragement to uh, be with you. It's always an encouragement, I think, like that Christians come together. One of the reasons that we come together is specifically to encourage one another in faith and in uh, service to God. And it's, it's good for us to be here. In our series this weekend, we have been looking into the epistle to the Hebrew and finding lessons that are specifically helpful, I think, to us in our current situation and um, our service to God in this world as it is. You know, we look around the world and look at the news that's coming from our own country, from our government, from our state, from our neighbors, and then from around the world, and we just see more and more wickedness all the time. I would like to uh, encourage you perhaps a little bit yeah. what I think encouraged, well, I know it encouraged me, and I think it's encouraged several others, because we've made the report in numerous places. But about all you can hear from the news of the world and much of what we hear from the churches is, is very discouraging uh we see the world growing more and more ungodly and we see the churches growing smaller sure. and uh, perhaps drawing within ourselves and not getting out and trying to confront the world because it's it to be somewhat discouraging and painful and pointless it's never pointless of course to preach the word of god but i want you to know the personal experience does not <clears throat> does not match what we hear in the news. My wife and I recently finished a nine-week travel through 16 states, and in those states uh, we visited 12 different churches. And I'm talking about from Minot, North Dakota, to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And uh uh, Beaumont, Texas. We went basically north to south border to border. And when we would visit with those churches, in every single church we visited within those various states, we found people in love with the Lord, in love with one another, knowledgeable in his word. We heard preachers and teachers in Bible classes and pulpits encouraging people to be daily Bible readers, and we saw evidence that they were doing so. They uh, they know their Bible, they're able to discuss it intelligently, and not just the verses assigned for this week, but how the whole Bible fits together, one, one passage complements another and how they all apply to us. The, uh, the church of our Lord is alive and well and strong in the middle of America, and um, we don't have experience much recently on the coast, but I don't see any reason to have any doubt that God is blessing this nation with people of strong faith, who in most of those states are going out to their neighbors and teaching that word of God, and bringing in glowing reports of people wanting to hear, thirsty for the word of God, and some word of hope in this world. We see the extreme wickedness and evil of those who want to destroy everything that's good and godly in our society and then we hear good sound preaching from time to time as we sit together or even look online but there is a large number of people between those two extremes most of our country doesn't know which way to go they aren't sure about the Bible that they're hearing because most of the time they're hearing a lot of conflicting Bible. This preacher says that and the one says something else, and they don't know where to go. And on the evil side, they're seeing just destroy society, build something new, something without God in it. They don't like that. They're not sure of this. They don't know where to go. They need guidance and help to find the truth right down the middle of God's plan. And you and I are in a position to provide that to them. And many of our brothers and sisters in this nation are doing exactly that. So I want you to be encouraged that the Church of the Lord is not dead in America. And I think as a result of that, America is not dead in the world. Because it was the Bible, maybe not always properly taught, but the Bible focused and emphasized and built this country. And it's why God has blessed this country. And He has continued to do so. And so I want to I want to encourage us all this morning to begin looking at Hebrews chapter 1. And the last verse the next last two verses in that chapter, in verse number 13, and I want us to see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us regarding our opportunity in this world. We have as much right and as much power to influence this country and this world, as do the people in Washington or Hollywood or the news agencies. We can do this. God has said he wants it done, and he wants us to do it. In Hebrews chapter one and verse number 13, <clears throat> having talked about the fact that the angels of God brought to Moses that Old Testament law, and he's switching over to see what we have in Christ, he says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the words spoken by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, How shall we escape if we neglect some great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him god also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and madonna's miracles and gifts of the holy ghost according to his own will give heed give the more earnest heed lest at any time we should let them (coughs) slip what does that mean slip well that word is defined in uh, the Greek word that's used here, is defined as to slip away from the mind. Yeah, oh, I forgot that. What was that? I used to know that. You know, name, address, space, whatever. To slip out of my slip out of my hand. My hand is I had it in you know? my Or to run out as a leaking vessel. You got a hole in your bucket, and the water's running out. Just maybe a little trickle at a time, eventually it's all gone. When the Spirit says, be careful lest it slip, He's teaching us that letting it slip out of our minds is a possibility. You might forget the faith that saves your soul. Don't do that. Don't let it happen. And he also is showing us in the same statement that avoiding that slipping is possible. You don't have to forget the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reason that we're here together. Avoiding the losing of your salvation is possible. It is encouraged by the Lord, and it is in your control. God's not going to put a lock on your brain so things can't leak out. He's not going to open up your head and just keep on pouring it in. It's up to us to hold on to it, to get it, to hold it, and to keep on holding it. But how, what tools are there, what principles do we have that can help us to avoid losing our salvation? Well, the answer to that question is in the book of Hebrews, again and again and again. He says here that we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have learned. When he's talking about, in chapter 1, what they had in Moses, we understand that they had heard the word of God. Moses told them clearly and at great length what God had given him in the mountain. The people who first received this letter had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The apostles and the evangelists had clearly told them what the truth is that Jesus had brought into the world. And we ourselves have heard the same truth. We know the gospel, the the, the, the good news of salvation available in Jesus Christ. So he says, we ought to give heed. What does that mean, give heed? It means to know, to understand, but to do also. To pay attention to what the words are, what the words mean, and how they apply to me. I keep using the illustration of mama, you know? We all had one, of some kind, somewhere along the way. Somebody brought us up, and my mama would say to me, Go do this or go do that. And, you know, probably not like you, but I was kind of, well, I was the oldest of five, so I was kind of a brat most of the time. And I had my own way of doing things, and sometimes I'd just say, "Mm, I'll get to it later. Mama said, you better heed me Me now. I knew what she meant when I was a little kid. It may I better understand. understand she meant what she said, and I better get busy and do it. When he says we ought to give heed to the things that we've heard, understand it, pay attention to it, absorb that in the head, put it in your heart, make it a part of your life, and just do it. What have we heard? What have we heard? We've heard that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world. Ephesians chapter, excuse me, in the Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes and tells us that he gave up that place in heaven and humbled himself as a man, came into this world and suffered all the things that we're suffering, as we see in Hebrews chapter 4. Everything that we suffer, he suffered, but he never sinned with it. We understand that Jesus told us I'm going back to heaven and prepare a place for you. But in order for you to receive that place, you've got to meet the criteria, the qualifications. You know, sometimes we look in um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, and we see the qualifications for the elders and the deacons. Have you ever looked over in Acts chapter 18 and seen the qualifications for a preacher? Or the entirety of the epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus? What to be and what to do? Look at the verbs in those, two, those three epistles sometime, and see the qualifications for the preacher. But did you know there are qualifications for getting into heaven? Hey, you got qualifications for who gets into your house. I don't have a key to it. And if I tried to go in there and go into your house right now and you're not there, you'd have something to say about that. We all have qualifications, entry rules to get into our space. And so does God for getting into it. And we've heard these. It's not news to us. What we heard in the beginning and how we became Christians in the first place was we believe that Jesus Christ is Son of God. John 8 verse 24 except you believe that I am, you shall die in your sin. We don't want to die in sin, we don't want to die pleasing to God. We know that we need to turn away from our sin. Because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we want to stop living in sin, and turn and follow him instead. Luke 13, verse three, except you shall repent, you shall all likewise perish. We don't want to perish. We don't want to be separated eternally from God. So we turn away from our sin, we stop doing that, we stop even wanting to do that, we turn and follow after Jesus, and then we confess our faith in Jesus. Paul said to Timothy, "You've made that good profession of faith. What is that good profession of faith?" The Ethiopian illustrated that for us in Acts chapter eight and verse thirty-seven. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that's what John wrote his gospel record for—that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John twenty and thirty-one. And so we know that we've heard that, we've done that, and then we've been buried with him by baptism into his death so that with him we could rise to walk in the midst of life. Romans chapter 6, verse 24. That's what we heard. That's what we did. That's how we became Christians. That's the only way anybody ever did or ever will become a Christian. Follow those steps into Jesus Christ. So that's what we heard. The basic, fundamental truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Upon that fact, everything hangs. When Jesus was speaking to his apostles in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he said, who do you think I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And And Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. The rock of that confession, it's a solid footing, a foundation upon which we can build a life that is acceptable to God. We can fulfill the reason for our creation in the first place. Upon that one fact. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, not just say that and quit, but understand that has a lot of implications to it. If he is the Son of God, what did he do? What did he say? How did he live? What does he expect of me? And we go and read through the New Testament and we learn the answers to all those questions. Peter said to us in 2 Peter 1, verse number 3, I know, I've repeated all these verses numerous times this week, but they're fundamental, they're foundational, they're important. And... How do we learn anything? Repetition, repetition, repetition. You have to learn. When you're done this weekend, if you've been here all, all day for the two days, you're going to know John 20, 30, and 31, and you're going to know 2 Peter 1, 3. We have, been, have been given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. When we understand Jesus, when we know everything there is to know about Jesus, as God has revealed it to us, not all the speculations and maybes that men have written down through the ages, but what God has given us in the Bible. When we understand what Jesus did, what he said, who he is, we've got everything that pertains to, you know what that means, has anything to do with it. Everything that has anything to do with your life on earth, your eternal life in heaven, and your godliness, it's in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as we absorb it, and then as we do it, we practice it in our lives. And so, we need to stay focused on those things that we have heard. And not only did he say give heed, but he said give earnest Give the more earnest. to Do something earnestly. That means with energy, with enthusiasm, with sincerity, with purpose. I'm going to get this. I had a I had a flat tire on a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that big old thing's got air. Bladed tires. I ran over a stump or something, poked a hole in the sidewall. Thing went down. Well, I couldn't, couldn't inflate it. I couldn't fix it there on the farm. So I had to. I had to get a wrench. Now, you've got to understand, this lawnmower is on our farm, which is 150 miles north of where we actually live right now. And we were packing for this trip, so I took my big heavy toolbox out of my truck and left it at home. And now I've got to take this <coughs> tire off this lawnmower. I had a scrounge around. I've got an old rusty pair of pliers and a big old pipe wrench. <laughs> and I'm holding that nut on one side and cranking that thing, with a pl- and it wasn't coming off. I had to get it off. That's so why I put forth more effort. I got more earnest. I was urgent. I got to get that thing off of there so I can get that tire to the shop and get it fixed before we leave and go to Colorado Zoo. And, uh, I put forth effort. I worked at it because it had to be done. Give more earnest pain. What, what more earnest? We gotta be more serious about following Christ than they were about following Moses look back and see how they followed Moses. Many of them didn't do it very well. In fact, the whole nation was so poor at it that God divided the nation and so said, let's just deal with two little tribes at the bottom instead of the whole nation, because y'all just a mess. And they didn't do it so well, so he sent them off into Babylonian captivity and they were dispersed throughout the Babylonian empire. They learned their lesson, he brought them back and they did much better after that. But still, when Jesus came, he had to rebuke them because they had begun to add their own traditions and ideas and false interpretations and just gave up the practice of some of those things. So we have got to give earnest heed to those things that we cried in the beginning. One, what is the value of those things? Well, here's the value that the Holy Spirit describes to us. At the first, began to be spoken by the Lord. Isn't that enough? You know what the word Lord means? Master. Well, we know what that means. He's the guy we ought to obey. He's the one that says that we do it or we're out of here. Or we're severely punished for not doing it. He's our Lord. He's the guy who first sent all this. And then he says, in verse 3 of uh, Hebrews chapter 2, first spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by them that heard him. Those 12 people traveled with Jesus for three and a half years. They ate with him, they walked with him, they worked with him, they slept beside him, oftentimes probably outdoors. I know at at one point at least, some, some of his times at least, he, uh, he slept in uh, Peter's house. Oh. Peter and his wife and his children, his mother in law, Jesus, and probably some of his uh, disciples. But well, they were always together in everything, all day and all night. They knew. They heard. They understood. You know, John, when he began to write his first general epistle, he says, Look, we heard him. We saw him. We touched him. Our hands have handled him. We know the word <coughs> of life, Jesus Christ. And so, after the Lord spoke it, these men who knew it well, they confirmed it to us. Yes, that's it. And not just what the one man said. And we might we hear it right, but here, at least 12 guys running all over the world teaching the very same thing. And then he said, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own word. That's the value of what we heard. It came from the Lord, the Son of God, was repeated around the world by the people who knew him best, and was confirmed God himself worked with. You know, Peter was just a fisherman. What does he know about curing leprosy or healing the blind or walking on the water? God did that. God worked through Peter's hand, James, Matthew, Thomas, all the rest of them, Paul. God himself, it's like Nicodemus said, we know your teacher come from God because nobody can do those things you're doing unless God was with you. So God was confirming what they were saying. That's the value of what we heard. what is the urgency what degree of urgency actually exists to giving heed to those things what can i do something else first where does this fall in my list of priorities how important really is it in my day-to-day life is it something that i can reverse uh, reserve to sunday or is there more involved than that in chapter three here in hebrews Let's begin reading in verse number 12. Here's that word again. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart (coughs) of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief is evil. How do I define unbelief? How do I know that you have unbelief, but you don't believe? Well, you departed. You left. You quit the church as it were you just stopped being a part of the work and worship of the people of god that's evil don't do that take heed lest there be an you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living god but <coughs> exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin for we are made partakers of christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit, not all of them that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom sware he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. There's a pattern, there's an example. That's what we're supposed to remember to understand. We have only today. I know sometimes it would be seem to be at least really good if we could go back to yesterday and fix a few things. Do something that we don't do that. We've only got today. Oh, if only tomorrow we're here. We could get, get past today's struggles and trials. If I could actually get into the fulfillment of this dream I have, one day I'm going to be, i just got to get there. No, we don't have one day. We don't have someday. We don't have tomorrow. We've got today. And as long as we can say today, that's when we exhort one another. That's when we give heed to what we know. Somebody said... By the yard, life is hard, by the inch, life's a cinch. I don't know how much truth there is in in all of that and how we measure it out, but the principle is just take it one day at a time. If you can't get through one day at a time, how about one minute at a time? Because you know, truth be told, you've only got this one minute. Not one of us is guaranteed that we're gonna be sitting here alive and well two minutes from now. We've got now, we've got right now. What are we gonna do? This moment that God has given to us. And so while it's called today, be faithful today. And then he said, take heed to those things which could cause your departure. Look at those kinds of things that could come into your life. That's that evil heart of unbelief. In chapter 5 and verse 11, he said, we noticed yesterday, you've become dull of hearing. You ought to be able to be out there teaching, but you got the need to somebody teach you again the first principles. You know what? Sometimes we all get that way. But how do we become dull of hearing? How do, how do we become to the point where we're just not paying attention and we don't really grasp what's being said? Well, it's a choice, isn't it? It, it may be a choice we didn't intentionally make but somewhere along the line we just sort of drifted and slipped into complacency yeah all well, familiar stuff yeah i know that best we read him. eli got up here a while ago to lead us in reading the lord's supper how many of you had a real good idea that he was probably going to turn to matthew chapter 26 right we've been here we've done that and it becomes complacent to us And we just say, okay, I know. And we don't hear, we don't pay attention, we don't listen. We just become dull of hearing. We're just not taking it in. We're not grasping what's going on and seeing the significance of it. Chapter 10, verse number 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Together, we're not able to encourage one another to stay faithful. And if I'm not here to encourage you to stay faithful, I'm not here so that you can encourage me to stay faithful. The old illustration is (coughs) the fireplace after the wood is burned down to just a few embers and coals, any glow. We burn a pile of timber out of the farm and at nighttime fell, and those coals are still glowing beautiful at night to see all of that timber. And it goes on all night until you take one of those coals out and set it over here by itself. It doesn't glow very long, does it? It goes out unheard because it doesn't have the association of all the others to keep it warm and enthusiastic and energetic and glowing. Has the glow of your life? Is it maybe because you've become dull of hearing? Or you've begun to absent yourself from the assembly of the church? And you know, he didn't really say the assembly, forsake the assembly. He said, forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The idea is you just quit the regular practice. It's not talking about missing one Sunday. It's not a sin to miss. We get sick, we have an accident, we get called to work in an emergency or something. It's not a sin to miss an assembly. It's a sin not to want to be there. It's a sin to just willingly give up the practice of coming together regularly and being with the church. That's what he's talking about. And when we do that, we have begun to let slip those things that we have heard. In chapter 10, look beginning in verse number 32. Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 32. Now call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you saw the light. You understood the truth. Remember that day you became a Christian? Those days that led up to it? Those days that followed it immediately? You endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while you were made a losing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions and you were so used well, you had compassion for me, Paul says, in my bonds, in, or whoever wrote this, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You knew at that time why you became a Christian. You knew you had a home and out. You knew it was better than what this world can offer, and you, you were enthusiastic about it, and you, you prayed for the other disciples, and you cared for those who were suffering in one way or another. They had begun I'm to let it slip away. The Holy spirit says don't let that happen look over the last chapter of hebrews chapter 13 verse number 9 be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied and talking about the old testament sacrifices those don't do you any good today God doesn't require that of you he requires something else and when you start listening <clears throat> to what this guy says and what that guy wrote what they all believe, instead of just focusing on the word of god and what does the bible say what application am i supposed to make of that in my life then we're not following the grace of god We're not established firmly upon that rock that is Jesus Christ. And we've added one more avenue toward our letting our faith slip away from us. Take heed, brethren, lest there be an evil heart of unbelief in you in departing from the living God. Don't let these things slip away. And then again in chapter 10, back up to verse number 19 and consider the whole context of this chapter down through the end of it. Let's look at a few points. Here is the reward for heeding what we have heard. Look at verse 19. Let's let's start here. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can have boldness to say, yes, I'm a Christian, and yes, I know that I have a home in heaven. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed to say there's a God in heaven, and Jesus has gone there to prepare a place for me, and I know that I'm going. Say, I know where I'm going there. Who only know that because they decided that between their ears. But you can. Am I in Kalamazoo, Michigan? Actually, are we in? In the I don't know what side of what line we're on. Am I in Michigan? Let's go there. Can we do that? Okay. How do I know that? Well, I can look at a map. I can look at a sign I'm across the line. Welcome to Pure Michigan. I love seeing those big blue signs. It's just gorgeous. I've always loved the attitude. I love living here. One of my favorite places in the world because of the pride that the people have at where they live. Life. That's good. But you can know that you're here. Look out there in the parking lot. You see all those cars. Can you know which one of them is yours? Hmm. Well, no. yeah, right. We can know these things. There are criteria that we can evaluate. some of the illustrations that pop in my head shouldn't. (laughs) We live in a crazy world. Some folks don't even know if they're men or women, you know? But we can know! (coughs) We can look in the book, and we can see that God said, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you repent from your sin, and you confess your faith in Him, and you're baptized into Him, from a pure conscience, then you can rise to walk in newness of life and know that you're saved. And you can look at yourself and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I have indeed repented from my sin. I have confessed my faith in him, I've been baptized into him, and I can know that I'm a child of God. Because I have done exactly what God told me to do. My life matches his word we can have that boldness to enter into the holiest of uh, places that Jesus has gone to prepare. In verse 35, we're looking at Matthew, I uh, mean, in Hebrews chapter 10, a rather lengthy passage, I'm not reading the whole passage, but looking at some points in there. verse number 35. In Hebrews chapter 10. What does that say? It says, cast not away therefore your confidence which has great recompense and reward. Great payback. It's a good reward that's coming. It's great the reward that's coming to you. Scripture says your mind, your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, your mind can't even imagine the greatness, the beauty, the glory of heaven, and the good things that God has prepared for you up there. It's beyond human comprehension. It's not like this world. It's better. It's perfectly suited to the human soul that was created by God. And has made a place for you. So don't cast away your confidence. Don't be that person who says, I'm not worthy. God doesn't want me. I could never get there. Listen, nobody's worthy. Not a single soul has ever lived that God said, I owe you something. <laughs> I'm indebted to you. You've done something for me that I couldn't have done for myself. Nobody is worthy of the grace and the mercy and the blessing. God have that confidence hold on to it he loves you that much Moses said to Israel it's not because you were the best of people that God chose you it's because he wanted to it was his will that's why you are God's chosen people don't ever get the big hat and think you're all that that you're somebody special. And God said, ha ah, there's mine. No, God just said, I'm gonna take you. And then Paul wrote the same to the church. He wrote it to Timothy, to Titus, and he said, it's not by any greatness that we've done, but it's by the grace of our God that we're saved. We don't understand grace generally to that depth and that degree. We don't understand that. Well, how could God love that person? Really? I mean, that's frankly back in our minds somewhere. We've all thought that about somebody. Maybe about ourselves. The point here is God is that good. His love is that great. His mercy is that perfect. His grace is that sure to everybody in the world. God loves you that much hold on to that confidence he has said that if you do these and you continue to walk in the light as he is in the light you hold that faith throughout all your life you're not going to be perfect you're going to stumble and fall but the holy spirit is with you jesus christ will save you when you repent and come back to him every time you see the need, every time you have sinned again hold fast that confidence there is great recompense of reward. And then verse 36. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Brother Paul, when did you obey the gospel? Years ago, right? I mean, it must have been 50, 60 years ago, 70, 80 years ago, 85 years ago. You learn about Jesus. You realize that's life. You say, I want to be baptized into Christ. And right away, you want to go with Jesus. You want to go to heaven. You want to be there. Well, hang on. There's some work to do. There's some life to live. There's some struggles to have Just keep on keeping on. Be patient. Live life. Serve him every day, minute by minute. Remember that you're a Christian. Something happens in front of you, remember, I'm a Christian. I don't do things. I know what the flesh wants to do, but my spirit will control my flesh because it's guided by the Holy Spirit of God. I will be patient and I will hold on to my faith and its practice down through all of life. And then verse 39 of this 10th chapter of Hebrews. We're not of them who draw back to perdition. We're of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The writer knew that of himself. He believed that of those to whom he was writing. Does it describe you as well? There's no way that I can fall away. I'm going to hold on day by day. Hour by hour, minute by minute, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to believe it. I'm to live by it. i want to have confidence in it. I'm going to do it. Whatever the Lord requires. Contrary to the teaching of many people, it is possible that you could hold faith today and lose it tomorrow. It's a sad and evil doctrine that you can never lose your faith because it gives people confidence to just go on doing any ungodly thing they want to do they can, they're still okay. It's just that it's not true. If anything can slip your mind, surely the gospel can. Don't let it happen. The apostle said that it could slip just like water out Guard yourself. Take heed to yourself. Continue to be a daily Bible reader. Reinforce your faith all the time. by going back to the book and reminding yourself what's in there. Avoid losing the salvation of your soul. It is possible to avoid it. It is encouraged. The Holy Spirit of God encourages you to avoid losing your salvation but it's in your control. Have you taken steps? Have you firmly planted in your mind that determination to hold true to the Word of God? And are you holding true to it day by day? Do you find yourself sometimes saying, it's hard alone. I need encouragement. I need support. That's why we're here. we come here in assembly of things to encourage one another. And if we can assist you and encourage you in the holding on to your faith and determination, let us know what the need is and let us pray with you and pray for you. There's great power in prayer. God will hear the prayers of the righteous. And will answer the needs. If you've not ever become a Christian, if you haven't taken those steps that put you in the family of God, there'll never be a better time than right now. And again, let me say, we don't have tomorrow. We don't have this anymore. What will you do with it while together we sing this invitation song? Uh,